His name is Lyle Presler, punk rock legend and music industry vet. His name is Jim Shear, most tenured DJ in the history of music television. It's the week in music with Lyle and Jim, and it all starts now. Why, hello there, everybody. My name is Jim Shear, and I'm Lyle Presler. And welcome to the week in music. We're back from our summer vacation. Yes, we are. It was a long summer vacation. <laughs> it was only a couple I just weeks, could, I, right? I couldn't get off the beach. I mean, I just had to stay and stay. The snow was piling up around me, and I just had to stay. <laughs> Listen, sometimes when you do a podcast, life happens. That's right. But the important thing is that we're back. On today's episode, Paul Simon says he is saying goodbye. A record label president is called out in the Me Too movement. Justin Timberlake's upcoming Super Bowl halftime performance. But before all of that, on Sunday night, the 60th annual Grammy Awards took place at Madison Square Garden in New York City. Bruno Mars was the big winner, taking home seven Grammys, including Record, Song, and Album of the Year. Kendrick Lamar didn't win Album of the Year, but he did clean up in the rap categories, winning five Grammys. Jay-Z was nominated for eight and won zero. And the general takeaway, at least from music critics, is that the performances were good but not great, and the Academy's voting was as predictable as ever. I, I kind of disagree, because I, I was able for years to predict who would win Album of the Year, but a few years ago, the, that whole Beck thing threw me off. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, because of the Beck thing, I thought Lord might have had a chance to win Album of the Year this year. But then, but then, Lyle, when Bruno won both Record and Song of the Year, I thought, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, this is how it's going. He's going to win sweet. Album of the Year, and then he's going to go on, you know, go through the press line and have those handful of Grammys. Yeah. Those, those armful of Grammys, I should say. Armful. So what did you think of the uh, the 60th annual Grammy Awards? Well, you know, Jim, I think we've talked about this before, but my, my bar for these things is pretty damn low. <laughs> I mean, and, and you know, it's also, I, I got to say, for years and years and years, I never watched the show. I mean, I just didn't. It, it, for some reason, I, on a Sunday night, I had something better to do or whatever. Now, you know, I watched it with my 11-year-old daughter, and it's interesting to see her reactions to it. Because she's really up on whatever's really new, and then she'll see stuff and she'll go, "Who is that?" I think her comment about you two is, "Why don't they have real names?" <laughs> <laughs> which, which I thought was brilliant. I mean, she knows who you two is, but it's like there's the Edge and Bono, really, you know. Um, but uh, so, so I guess the well, my bar is pretty low. I'm more interested in just sort of seeing. Because there's so much build up to it, and there's so much discussion of the nominees and who got shafted and who's not showing up and who's protesting. I just kind of want to see the train wreck happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 I have to say that I was I was I was pleasantly surprised by the performances. I thought by and large they were good. Right. Um, it's it's always a little bit weird when you kind of have to have these collaborations. Like, for instance, why was Mark Ronson on stage with Lady Gaga? Like, that just made... I mean, you only saw him from the side. You didn't even get a facial shot of him. And he wasn't really doing anything. Well, so, did he work on that new song with her? 
I guess so, and that's fine. And I, I mean, the collaboration, I mean, the, the sort of collaboration, if you want to call it, makes sense on paper, but as television, it's pointless. So, you know, I, I kind of felt, but, but it was okay because she did a really good job. She's, she's obviously an incredibly talented singer, um, and that was all fine. I didn't have a lot of problems with, with any of the performances. I mean, I thought that the Despacito thing was a little bit over the top, if you will, um, but I was kind of relieved that, that Bieber wasn't there because I think, and I think he probably wasn't there because he figured it's their song, let them sing it, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm just going to be a distraction, you know, mm-hmm. it's not my song. Um, so I, I, I thought I thought it was fine. I mean, we're, obviously we'll talk about the reaction to it, but I, I thought that it was pretty good um, as those things go. But again, what does that mean? I mean, it's pretty good, you know? <laughs> It's an award show. I mean, yeah, because I was watching with Alan Light and Mark Goodman. Oh, really? For a Sirius XM volume, and we did a post show afterward. And while watching the show, I was looking around the room, and I said, well, "Yeah, it's it's good." And everyone's reaction was the same. It's it's good. So it was kind yeah. of standard, but nothing really stood out. And nothing was amazing. No, nothing was amazing, and there were there there were problems. I think with a couple of things. I mean, I thought the Evita thing was just ridiculous. I mean. I don't know why you think in the middle of a very long thing you're going to hold an audience's attention with a, a wonderfully talented singer, definitely. Yes. But a broad, but a Broadway tune. I mean, you had you had Ben Platt. That was enough. You know, you just you you need to move on. Um, there were bits that just the, the subway bit with Corden and Sting and Shaggy was horrible. You didn't like just, it. No, I mean... I liked I, I, the first 40 seconds of it. Yeah, okay, the first 40 seconds, but then that's when the premise is over. Yes. I, I mean, it's like, it's like you know, they used to say about, like the Monty Python guys used to talk about how you can come up with this brilliant premise for a sketch. The problem is ending the damn thing. Well, that's, and, and, that's been SNL's problem for years. Yeah, and, and it's the problem with sketch comedy, period. And and the Python guys would get around it by, by improving and just putting a non sequitur out there that would end it. Um, mm-hmm. but it's very difficult to write endings to things in general, and sketch comedy is particularly problematic, and that just went on, and I was like, oh, God. And the other problem, of course, was that the people featured, surely there could have been better people. Yes. I, I mean, I like the idea of it. I like that Sting was poking fun at himself. I thought it went yeah. on too long, and I thought the actors weren't that great, especially right. the construction guy. Yeah, not good, and and I think that they could. I think if you substitute for Sting and and Shaggy, I think you would have gotten maybe a little bit more out of it. But you know, again, one of the things that that we should note, Jim, because you worked in television, is that there's a component here that no one ever really wants to talk about about these shows, which is that yes, they are award shows, but they also are television. Mm-hmm. And you do things, you make decisions based on what you think makes good television. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're right and sometimes you're wrong. I, I think that for the most part, overall, they were on it. I mean, I don't mean it was great, but they were on it. They they presented a put-together show that yeah. worked. You know, there were parts that didn't work. But as you point out, you can watch Saturday Night Live till you're, you know, and you might see one thing that works and... 10 things that don't. Mm-hmm. So, you yeah, know. throughout the course of the evening, I thought, yeah, this is what should happen, but I, I want to be wild now. 
And they're not right. doing anything wrong, but they're just not doing anything to make this a memorable Grammys. Right. Right. I mean, I, it's funny that you say that because I wonder if we were to poll people who've watched at least, say, 15 Grammy Awards ceremonies. I wonder if they would be readily avail- able to come up with the, the, the moments. Because I think what happens is the show's really long. There's a lot. You know, going through my notes, I've forgotten about performances. Like, I was like, <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. And I was taking notes in real time. And I, I was like, oh, right. They, oh, that, there was that. Um, it, it does sort of go by in a bit of a blur when it's when it's working. It actually goes by in a blur. When it's not working, it goes by like you know in a, at a snail's pace. But <laughs> um, but but the problem is, I don't think that many people can really pick out their moments. I mean, you may be able to, and I might be able to, but I think most people, it's very disposable. It, you watch it, you maybe react to it violently, and then you're done with it. <laughs> What did you think of Kendrick Lamar's performance? I mean, I thought it was very well choreographed, very well staged. It had a lot of drama to it. Um, I have a little bit of a problem with the fact that I can't readily understand most of what he's saying. That that was my problem. I like Kendrick, and I want to love Kendrick. And I'm not there yet. And I have friends who gush over him, who say he he's the greatest thing. He's a genius, the greatest rapper alive. This and that. And I and I watch him, award show after award show after award show. I spent a lot of time with his album this year, and I thought I like him, but to me, he's he's not great. Yeah, he's no KRS One. He's no Chuck D. <laughs> yeah, although I think that's a little unfair to compare him to those guys. Well, you know. but they call him the greatest ever. So well, he okay, be yeah. To I mean, the greatest ever. True, he should be. If you're going to call him the greatest ever, you got to compare him. I agree with that. I, I, I'm always really wary about the greatest anything because, first of all, you're always mixing apples and oranges to some extent, <laughs> and you're talking about different times and different places and different circumstances. My biggest right. issue, though, is is that I just can't. I would. I wish he were more comprehensible live, not for me, so much as for other people. Yes. Who who are interested, who go like, I want to see what this is all about. I want to hear what this man has to say. And then it's sort of like, it's so rapid fire and it's so, you know, it it just, you, you, it goes by so fast. You sit there and you go, what did he just say? What did he just exactly. say? Exactly. For I someone know he who's on the fence and those are the people you got to bring in. Right. They probably didn't understand a word because his cadence is That's right. And and I think that it also makes it really easy for those people who are inclined to dismiss it to just dismiss mm-hmm. it. You know, just well, I don't understand it, so I don't I don't think it's any good. And Dave um, Chappelle, was he there I liked it, but it was almost like we couldn't understand Kendrick, so Dave Chappelle had to come in and give commentary midway through. Well, that was kind of odd, but you know that was like stage. That was like stagecraft there because <coughs> what he was doing was covering for the costume changes. <laughs> no, seriously, I mean, that's what no, he was you're doing. Right, you're right. You know, they cut the camera to him. He even the way he delivered it was like, okay, how long do I have to wait to say this? Okay, I'm gonna say it. All right, I'm saying it. I'm pausing. Now we're back. <laughs> you know, so it 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 was a it was a mach- it was the machinery, if you will, of the performance. Um, but it was, it was a little, it was a little odd, but I kind of liked it. I kind of liked the fact that they did that. Um, even if it was just a part of the machinery. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I just, I guess, 
I guess I kind of felt like if you had op- an open mind uh, about various types of music, you could listen to, you could watch the performances and you could say, well, clearly there are talented people in all of these areas. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if, if you, if you're inclined not to be terribly judgmental or to reject things out of hand, you could say, wow, you know, those guys are really good. Like, I mean, the Tears in Heaven thing, which I, I just, I don't like the song at all, but, like, they did a good job. They're clearly talented people. And and isn't that really what it's about anyway? It's kind of about showcasing the talent that exists, whether it's in a genre you don't care about or whatever, and that can lead us to rock, but, but you know, isn't that kind of what it's about? I mean, they say it's a celebration of music, so yeah. you celebrate a lot of different kinds of music. I think we also want moments, though. Well, true. And I don't but is it moment? Many... What didn't MTV invent the concept of moments? Yeah, yeah. And I, I and that was a relatively new invention. Although I guess they just gave a name to it. But I, I agree with you. I I think there weren't real moments. But I, I guess in this era where we can Google or YouTube anything, the moments may be becoming less important. Which I kind of think brings us to the fact that the viewership was down. By 20%. 21 to 24%, whoever you talk to. That's 10 million less people watching. Yep. And and in the key demographic, which is, what, 18 to 49? Mm-hmm. So the one thing I would say is, okay, so the Grammys decides this year that they're going to put a lot of hip-hop, right? Because presumably responding to the fact that hip-hop rules. Mm-hmm. Well, that didn't do anything for their viewership at all. No. And I've heard a lot of excuses about it, but I don't buy the excuses. I think that you either have to, you have to make the assumption that the problem here is that the people in that age group are not glued to to live television. They are not terribly interested in it. They'd rather do something else on a Sunday night at 7:30 or 8:30 or whatever it was. Um I don't know. We haven't seen the 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 minute by minute numbers, so maybe people tuned in for Kendrick and then dropped out. Um, I don't know. But what I guess what I'm saying is is that here's the here's this horrible horrible organization called the you know Recording Academy, who responds to criticism and puts all this hip hop on and nobody watches. So what do you do if you run that organization? What do you do now? Hmm. Do you think they should have opened up with Kendrick Lamar? I'll tell you one thing I have heard through the grapevine that Kendrick won't come unless he opens. Really? Yep. Wow. Yep. Okay. So if that's the case, and I'm not, I don't know that for sure, but if that's the case, then that explains that. Okay. Because I would have liked that performance midway through. Yeah, that would have been better. Right after the 20-minute the Broadway thing. <laughs> exactly. Preferably right there. <laughs> that's when I started to fade. Right. Because I thought, okay, oh, we got one, bro- oh, there's another Broadway song? Leonard Bernstein? He died in 1990. What's the, right. I get it, it's in New York, but the Grammys do happen in New York from time to time. Absolutely, yeah. Um, let's talk about rock music for a second. Right. As always, uh, it was a head-scratcher. War on Drugs won Best Rock Album. Now, right. I think War on Drugs is an alternative act, so they beat out Mastodon, Metallica, and Queens of the Stone Age. Leonard Cohen 
won Best Rock Performance for the face-melting You Want It Darker. Take a listen. Magnified, sanctified, be thy holy name. Vilified, crucified in the human frame. A million candles burning for the help that never came. You want it darker. You serious? Whoa, that, blistering. The, that, blistering. <laughs> that, that, seriously, like the paint's coming off the walls here. My new paint, the we, new paint. We, lo- we love Leonard Cohen, but best rock performance. Well, you see, this this sort of brings us to something that, you know, I think we've talked about before, which is that, I don't know about you, but I've watched people fill out these ballots, okay? And mm-hmm. i got to say that, you know, for I mean, I haven't watched 50 people fill out their ballots, but I have actually filled out ballots for people. But but here's the thing. People simply look at a category that they don't give a damn about, and they just pick the name that they recognize. Mm-hmm. So the, everyone says, well, how come the Foo, Foo Fighters could release, you know, an album of, like, you know, Dave Grohl, like, reading his kid's math homework, and it would sell, or and he'd be nominated and would win a Grammy? Well, that's not... Because it's not good music, it's just because that's what people go. Oh, Foo Fighters, right? And, they, and some, they check someone it. would argue that, well, you fill out the ballot with your strengths because everyone's allowed to vote on the four major awards, right. and then I think you get to vote on maybe eight others, right? But there are people who are voting on the rock awards that just know the Foo Fighters or just no right. name name recognition. I, I I I won't name names, but I, I remember there was a guy I worked for who had a ballot, and he's going through it, and he and he checked something. I don't remember again. I don't want to, but he he checked off something, and I looked. I said, "Why did you check that? Why didn't you check Radiohead?" And he's like, "I don't get this whole Radiohead thing." And I was like, "Jesus Christ!" You know, I mean, you should not be. It's fine. It's cool, but you should not be filling out the ballot. Yes. You know, you just shouldn't be. But then again, I mean, look, there are twelve, uh, roughly twelve thousand people who vote, right? Mm-hmm. So, so you got to figure that there's some people who take it really seriously. And mm-hmm. what percentage is? And what percentage is that? Right. I mean, the people who take it really, and I don't mean just in your field of expertise. If if you're in, you know, if you're in editing. If you're a producer, if you're if you're um, an engineer, you might take those those things very seriously. But how many people take the broader part of it really seriously? And I would say that that's probably maybe what twenty five percent at best. Mm-hmm. So you so you got to figure that name recognition counts for almost everything. I mean, I heard a story one time about how MCA Records kept nominating Lyle Lovett all the time for best country records, and he kept winning. Or he would at least get nominated. And he one point started complaining to them, why are you nominating me for this? I'm not really a country artist, strictly speaking. And and they said, we don't care. We're nominating you. We're nominating you. Cause we want. And what would happen, of course, is if people got on the list, they didn't recognize anybody. They just go, oh yeah, Lyle Lovett, I know that. Click. For example, so, Pentatonix won a country Grammy last year. Right, that's right. Exactly. The acapella now, group, who is not a country group. So so why did the War on Drugs win? Because it sounded good. War on Drugs. I like that. That sounds really rock to me. Really rock. <laughs> you know, I mean, we probably could, we, I bet you that we could sneak a ringer into one of these categories. And if we were clever enough, we could get a si- significant amount of votes for a non-existent group. Right. And a non-existent song. Right. 
Absolutely. I, I don't. But, but you know, if you go through the rest of the rock uh, awards, though, Jim. I mean, you got <clears throat> Mastodon won for metal, right? Yeah. Uh, the alternative and Foo Fighters run. Foo Fighters won for run. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really and, like that song. Yeah, and, I mean, and you know, people, it's it's really fashionable to bitch about the Foo Fighters, but let's face it, if that's the worst thing out there, we're in good shape. Mm-hmm. Um, and then alternative album was the National, which I don't think really many people could argue with. Right. Uh, uh, whether you like them or not, it's it's still a solid choice. So, <clears throat> but the here's the here's the thing though, Jim. There, aside from aside from Sting and U two, there wasn't any rock music on the Academy. I mean, the Grammys, right? Well, my question is, who would play? I don't know, but I guess is Portugal it, the man, since they right? did win a, a Grammy in the the pop category. Right, they deserve to be on. Imagine right. Dragons is as, as much as Dragons love or hate been. them. Yeah, I mean, I, I would think that I, I don't see Mastodon being on. You know, no. and we did have Metallica last year, right? Right. So if you're kind of splitting hairs, maybe it's Portugal the Man, maybe it's, uh, but certainly Imagine Dragons would be a solid choice mm-hmm. to sort of carry at least a little bit of that torch. <clears throat> but like you know, rocks become like the new klezmer, like in ceremonies recorded earlier. <laughs> I mean, it really it's like it's like the polka, you know. I mean, it, I know, it, no, it, it is. It's, it's amazing to me. It's absolutely amazing to me that that it has fallen that far out. And again, I think that U two song is a fine U two song. It's a fine U two song. Mm-hmm. It fits into the canon of U two perfectly. Um, it's it's fairly catchy. It sounds just like they sound. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you're going to have to face facts at some point, U2 fans, that they are going to pretty much sound like what they've always sounded like. They Like those stones pretty much sound the way they've sounded now for 40-some, 50-some years. So that's that's a reality. But I don't see them as standard bearers for rock. If they are, that's a, that's problematic. I'd rather see Foo Fighters as standard bearers. Mm-hmm. But, you know, again, this is all sort of like... Crying, crying over spilt milk, isn't it? Yeah, I'm just uh, like you said. Rock is becoming polka. Every year, I'm waiting for the rock revolution to happen. But as every year passes, I think is is rock becoming like a a barbershop quartet, where well, I don't know the, a, a I novelty don't know the, where it's like, oh, remember when they used to play instruments? That was so cute. Yeah, I mean, I've had this conversation with people about the what I perceive as the proclivity of younger people not to value musical ability, um, except for singing. And I don't know whether that's whether I'm right, whether that's actually happening. I'm gonna say right, whether it's actually happening or it's not happening. Um, I will say that the rock thing. I, 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 as you remember, I was on a panel with some guitar players some mm-hmm. just guitar players and and i think i was one of the uh, maybe the only person in the room that was fairly pessimistic i think yeah. i think they were fairly righteous about it and fairly optimistic i was pretty pessimistic because i think that the hand you, it's it's hard not to read the writing on the wall like when you're you're seeing the 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 lack of riff of riff based music which is essentially guitar based music um on the radio and in the public eye. Um, and, you know, but but then again, I mean, these things do move somewhat in cycles. I mean, if you clocked into the country during the disco era, you would have gone, oh, my goodness. 
mm-hmm. you know, rock's done and it's all done. And then that didn't prove to be the case. Um, but I also don't agree with some people I've heard say, you know, we're only one good rock song away from blah, blah, blah. I don't think that's true at all. No. Uh, I, don't, I don't think you're going to get one really great riff rock song and all of a sudden everyone's going to go, yeah, let's start doing that. Yeah, if I was a kid and I just had to bring my laptop to a club, that's yeah. a lot easier than bringing drum kits and bass amps and guitars. Yeah, it's it is. Easy, it's easier. It's easier. And, you, and to be fair, you can be a hell of a lot more creative. I mean, when I say creative, I mean creative the way people will perceive your creativity. If you can sit there on a laptop and put a beat down and then fly some instruments in and then fly some sound in and then sample some stuff and throw it out there in an hour, that's a hell of a lot more impressive than going, hey, I know how to play Hotel California. <laughs> I mean, period. It just is. And, you know, I used to always say, like, I, pref- I would have preferred to play the piano because the piano is an instrument where you can accompany yourself without mm-hmm. singing without singing right yeah. like and i i couldn't sing so i could sit there and play the guitar but i can't really sing so it's basically i'm restricted to playing the one part on the guitar that i can play at that moment mm-hmm. now when i go to if i go to record then i can put down a, a part and put another part down whatever but but in the room at the moment well contrast that with the guy who can walk in and throw open the his laptop and go look what i just worked on and you go wow that's really great you know so it's it's that's the way things work, but I don't know. I don't know where we're going with that, but I do think that if you want to say that the Grammys are out of touch, they're not out of touch where rock is concerned, man. No. I mean, they are sidelining it the way it has been sidelined. Because I've, I've spoken with a lot of people, and they're like, there's no rock at the Grammys. And my question to them was, well, who would be at the Grammys? <laughs> right. If you put on the Foo Fighters, you're going to complain that it's Dave Grohl. Well, Dave Grohl's right. the only voice in rock and roll. When they went rock and roll, they put Dave Grohl on the Grammys. <laughs> right. And if you put Imagine Dragons on the Grammys, oh, they're too pop. Yeah, exactly. If you put Maroon exactly. 5 on the Grammys, they're not even a rock band. Well, they they're play not instruments. Even a rock band. Let's close our talk on the Grammys with talking about Bruno Mars winning Album of the Year. Um, right. It seemed like the music critics of the world assumed that it was Kendrick Lamar's to lose. Right. And he lost it. And he lost it. And like I said, when Bruno won Record and Song of the Year, I said, yeah. They they yeah. want that picture of him backstage with the seven Grammys, and his, yeah. his name is recognizable. They've seen him perform at the Super Bowl. They saw him at last year's Grammys doing an awesome Prince tribute. Of course, mm-hmm. they're going to vote for Bruno Mars. Yeah, and 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 frankly, um, you know, people. Let's face it, man. People like that. They like it. I mean, I've had people in their fifties. Go to a Bruno Mars concert and love it, and I've had seven-year-olds say how much they love it. Well, yeah, his song says, that's what I like. <laughs> yeah, that's what I like. Hey, <laughs> deal with it. And, and and by the way, he's like he's a little pixie, and he can dance, and he can play the guitar, and he can sing. I mean, at a certain point, we all have to just say, okay, it is what it is, you know? I... I I don't have a pro. I have no problem with Bruno Mars. I just don't. I mean, I I don't. It's not like I'm running out to listen to his music. I I hear enough of it in the car, you know. <laughs> so I know it all. But I don't. It doesn't come on in me. Go. And I thought that thing. I thought Uptown Funk was great. Mm-hmm. I mean, in terms of like pull, pulling together an old school sounding thing, I thought it was brilliant. So I don't. I don't have any problems with it at all. And and you know, as we close, I want to just read one little thing that I I saw. Okay. Okay. And this is Jay-Z commenting on the Grammys. 
And it's very interesting, I think. It, it goes, quote, I realized that art is super subjective. The Academy, they are human like me, and they, and they are voting on things they like. I don't know whether it was I realize or I realized. If I realized is the case, then he should have realized this a long time ago. But that that notwithstanding, what he's saying there is just dead on truth. People yes. do vote for what they like. They don't always sit there and go, well, you know what? I preferred the Bruno Mars, but I think that Kendrick is really the real deal. Mm-hmm. People just don't do that all the time, and you can't expect them to. And I, I think that's why getting all exercised about this stuff is kind of pointless. At the end of the day, a human being sits down, as Jay-Z says, and he fills out his little ballot, and he doesn't know most of it. He doesn't know what he's voting on most of the time. But where he does, he says, I like Bruno Mars. Boom. <laughs> that's and it. Bruno Mars, he, he felt the eyes upon him. When he won Album of the Year, and I loved his acceptance speech. Right, absolutely. He said, listen, this is why I made the album, so everybody could dance. Right. So was it political? No. He's like, this was, I was inspired by Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis and Babyface. I just want people to dance. Mm Mm-hmm. And you know what? As much as that's not my thing, that has a place in the world, and maybe a really important place in the world, considering everything else that goes on. Mm Mm-hmm. So there you go. The 60th annual Grammy Awards done. 61st will go back to L.A. And it'll take place in L.A. for the next few years, I think. Maybe even more than that. And I was on a a red carpet this weekend and everyone was just miserable. (laughs) And I thought, yeah, they should just do this in L.A. every year. Let's just get it back to L.A. yeah. Yeah, with outdoor red carpets and... Yeah, bring it back to L.A. All right, we are going to take a break, but uh, when we come back, we are going to talk about Paul Simon, who apparently is playing his farewell show. Don't you go anywhere. All right, first off, first off, to the other nominees in this category, Lord, Kung Fu Kenny, Jay-Z, Gambino, you guys are the reason why I'm in the studio pulling my hair out, man, because I know you guys are going to only come with the top shelf artistry and music, and thank you guys for blessing the world with your music. I mean that. Um, can I tell y'all a story real quick? Don't cut me off, Grammys, please. So I'm 15 years old, and I'm opening up a show in Hawaii called The Magic of Polynesia. I'm in front of a curtain and I'm singing songs. Uh, and my job in that show was to entertain about a thousand people, a thousand tourists from all over the world. And um, I would put together a set list like 10 to 12 songs. And I'll be honest, I was incredible at 15. I was. And uh, later on in life, I found out that those songs that I was singing were written by either Babyface, Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, or Teddy Riley. And with those songs, I remember seeing it. I remember seeing it firsthand, people dancing that had never met each other from two sides of the globe, dancing with each other, toasting with each other, celebrating together. All I wanted to do with this album was that. And, 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 you know, those songs were written with nothing but joy and one reason and for one reason only, and that's love. And that's all I wanted to bring with this album. And hopefully I could feel that again and see everybody dancing and everybody moving. It is The Week in Music with Lyle and Jim. 
back after our summer vacation. It was a nice summer vacation, a long summer vacation, but we're back. Uh, Charlie Walk. A lot of you know him as the uh, one of the judges on the singing competition show The Four. He is the Republic Group president. He is facing sexual harassment allegations from his former employee, Tristan Coopersmith, who wrote a Me Too open letter to Charlie Walk, one in which she details the history of his bad behavior, including running his hand up her thigh at a business dinner and throwing her onto his bed during a work event at his home, one in which Coopersmith claims his wife was in the next room. She writes, quote, You being drunk and me being six inches taller was my saving grace, unquote. And since then, two more women uh, have come forth and said that uh, Charlie Walk sexually harassed them. So, well, well, you were, you know, everyone was asking the question, when's all this stuff going to get around to music, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have, we have film, we have politics, uh, we even have, you know, some just basic, you know, normal company stuff. And when was the music? And I, and it was funny that people said that. And I was like, wow, you know, music is the place where this really happens. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, and when was it going to, when was the other shoe going to drop? And, um, you know, Jim, I don't, I don't know the people involved here, so um, I don't have any opinion. I, I was thinking back to my time in the business, and I was thinking about kind of some of the things I saw, and you know, I definitely saw a lot of hanky panky, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I never worked around or with people, nor would I have, who would use their position to push the boundaries of what's acceptable. And, well, at least sexually. I mean, in terms of being imperious and yelling at people and being nasty and insulting people, I saw plenty of that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I didn't really see the other, and and I... But I know it went on, and I know it goes on. And I think the thing to remember about all this stuff, because you hear a lot of stuff bandied about, about, about Me Too and about about these harassment situations is you know let's let's just try to remember always that this is not about sex it's about power mm-hmm. um it's really i mean i don't care care how lurid the details become or how lightweight the details are it isn't that's not what we're talking about here um i saw consensual activity that was inappropriate <clears throat> that in times i had to even call out with people but um that's again very much divorced from what these people are accusing people of, and I think that if you haven't worked in in a business um, where you have uh, there's upward mobility within the business and there's uh, politics, you don't realize how powerful <clears throat> the pressure is on you to do things. Whether it's I want you to be at my son's bar mitzvah, or whether I want you to get in my bed. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of pressure, and and I think women in the business have always been in a vulnerable position. Um, whether or not this incident is real or not real, or remembered incorrectly, or a pa- part of a pattern of behavior, I don't know. Um, it is sort of important that we figure that out. But, you know, I hear a lot of stuff, and, and like one of the things I hear is about motive. Well, so-and-so's motive. Well, who cares about motive? If the event happened, it happened. If someone says, you know, my motive is to wreck the career of so-and-so because he's a jackass, then, hey, all right, that's your motive. 
Mm-hmm. You know, if my motive is to protect other people from this person, that's a motive. Who cares? If if and when I say who cares, I mean it shouldn't count against them that that's their motive. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if it happened, if it was inappropriate, it was wrong. Then it, sh- it it doesn't matter what someone's motive is. And I think the other thing I'd say is that I don't like this business of people resorting to the he said, she said. Let's face it. Most of the thing, most of the controversies that happen in life are he said, she said. You can't just hide behind that and say, well, you know, he said, mm-hmm. she said. Because let's face it, unless there's eyewitnesses or recordings made, it's always going to be he said, she said on mm-hmm. every level. And because this stuff isn't adjudicated, in other words, because we don't have judges and rules of evidence and all the rest of it, we're kind of making up our rules of evidence. But I think as we do that, as we come to some conclusion about what the evidence should be, I think we got to be really careful about not resorting to these little ways of either attacking a a victim or defending someone or whatever it may be based on these concepts that really have no real legal basis. We just got to we got to come up with our thing. So, you know, this is one person who wrote something. If a couple other have come forward, so how many does it take? You know, right? It's like uh, oh, now there's seven. Okay, now we'll take it seriously if there's seven. Right now, you know, in a in a court, you know, maybe there there are rules of evidence and there's ways to sort of establish benchmarks. We don't really have those. So, I'm I'm kind of reminded of someone who once said to me, you know, sometimes where there's smoke there's fire and sometimes there's not. <laughs> and I, I remember saying, that's the most idiotic thing I've ever heard, but in a sense it is sort of right in the in the sense that we all have to sort of figure out that when we see that smoke, how much smoke do we got to see before we mm-hmm. say there might be there's a fire. Well, and my I question think, is, this this has been going on for a while. <laughs> Wouldn't Fox vet Charlie Walk? Well, putting him that's on the a, panel, putting him on that, the you know, because there's him, P Diddy, DJ Khaled, and Megan Trainer. They're the judges. Well, let me ask you a question, Jim. What, what what kind of vetting do you think would be done? I don't know. Well, okay, so like, imagine imagine there's a, a male anchor going to interview for the Today Show on NBC. Mm-hmm. You would think certain questions would be asked. Yes. Right? Yes, absolutely. So they wouldn't have to go through the whole Matt Lauer thing again. Well, and the Matt Lauer thing is the, is is the, is the 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 really big uh, big watershed moment for those industries because they placed so much importance in him, and they had so much riding on him that his departure is a disaster from a business standpoint. Mm-hmm. So you're right. So the vetting the vetting issue, but here's the problem with that. Okay, so let's say that I worked at. Uh, Caroline Records, which I did, and let's say there was an HR file on me a mile long, which I hope there wasn't, but it probably got destroyed in any event. Um, so the so I've got that right now. I leave Caroline and I go to work for for Fox, right? Mm-hmm. Now Fox can try to find out what happened at Caroline, but understand that Caroline is under no obligation to release that file to them. And mm-hmm. in fact, and in fact, might be exposing themselves to potential lawsuit for me for slander or libel mm-hmm. if they do. I read something a few years ago that said that if anybody ever calls you to ask for a reference for someone, unless it's, unless it's incredibly positive, all you should do is confirm the dates of their employment. That's it. Mm. No comment. 
Wow. And I've seen that happen where someone's been like, well, why didn't you tell, why didn't you say that I was great? Well, like, we don't want to get involved in that. We're just not going to get involved in it. So the vetting would be very difficult to do. And plus the fact, anytime you're a public figure, and maybe Charlie Walk wasn't a public figure, but but he is certainly now, you say to yourself, how many stories could you possibly hear about Charlie Walk? You could hear a thousand, right? Mm-hmm. You could hear everything you can imagine about him. And how would you how would you effectively piece that together? So again, we're back to the smoke and fire, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're at Fox and you're trying to vet this guy, what are you going to do? You're going to you're going to you know, fill Madison Square Garden with the people who've dealt with Charlie Walk over the years and ask questions. It's not practical to figure out how to do that. Clearly, if somebody comes with a an established public record of behavior, you might think twice about hiring them. But I think it's I think it's asking a lot, just like it's asking all of us again a lot to try to figure out whether we believe certain things and what we believe about people, and then therefore what we should do about them. You can imagine that at Fox and at Universal and at Republican, all these places there, and at Sony because they're involved, even though he doesn't work there anymore. You know, it's like all these people are now having, they're having meetings right now, Jim, and they're talking about these issues. What do we do? How, you know, how do we respond to this? What do we have? Do we have information? How good is our information? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, because if you're a company, say like Fox or Republic, and you really like the work of Charlie Walk, do you hold on to him? Well, which is, they do, and they love the work. (laughs) They love his work. Mm -hmm. He's been very, very successful from what I can gather. So what do you do? I mean, how do you how far do you go in this situation? But I do think that if you're working in these places right now, given everything that's happened in the past year, you really are going to err on the side of like, let's just get rid of this. Mm-hmm. Whatever we got to do to get rid of this guy, because unfortunate, and that's unfortunate. If it turns out that someone's being sort of falsely accused, that's unfortunate. But that is part of the reality. Nobody wants that liability. Nobody wants that that anchor hanging around their neck, dragging them to the bottom. But so as of now, he's still with Republic and he's still on the four. That's my understanding. Yeah. Okay. So and we'll and see. by the way, just just as a, as a sidelight, the one thing that in reading about everyone's reactions to this, there's one thing that I I think people should look for, and that is she makes the claim. It's a little vague, but she sort of makes the claim that she was paid money to go away by Sony. Now, if that payment was not a metaphorical payment, right, but a literal payment, like mm-hmm. you you sign this agreement and you take this money and you don't talk about this anymore, then we're opening up a whole new set of circumstances that really could get kind of kind of thorny, you know? Because it would mean that it would mean that there's something did happen which would make him a liar mm-hmm. um, in his statement. It would also bring up the issue of whether or not she signed a confidentiality agreement and who wants to pursue that, if anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, because pursuing a claim against her for breaking a confidentiality agreement would be essentially acknowledging the existence of that agreement. So. Is a there's a that's one to watch though because I I read her statement several times and I didn't fully completely understand what she was saying there, but if in fact there's a file sitting somewhere in New York City at Sony 
saying we gave so and so such and such money for such and such reasons, then that's a problem for everybody. It's a big can of worms. Yep. So let's move on to Paul Simon. Uh, a week after Neil Diamond was forced to retire and Elton John announced his farewell tour, Paul Simon has announced a farewell show happening at Hyde Park in London on July 15th. It is called Homeward Bound, The Farewell Performance. Lyle, do you think this is really it for Paul Simon? If so, doesn't New York City deserve a farewell show as well? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's... just do one show, right? <coughs> well, I mean, he could just do one show, but why in London? Exactly. Why at Hyde Park? I mean, Hyde Park is kind of cool. I mean, for those of you who might not remember, the Rolling Stones played a free concert in Hyde Park right after the death of Brian Jones. Um, it's still sort of a watermark, a watershed moment in British rock. So there, there have been uh, examples of shows played out the United, outside the United States that that fall into that. But in the case of Paul Simon being such a consummate New Yorker, you would think that he would do something here. Yeah, so we we don't know. We don't know. And I don't know. I mean, has he said anything about why he picked that? No. Now, this is happening, I believe, at the end of a maybe 10-day festival. Okay. So I don't know if it's a package deal with that, but I would assume, I would hope that America would get something. Yeah, and and I also kind of question why he's retiring. I mean, I don't know what his physical circumstances are. I mean, I, I think you're going to see the last Eric Clapton pretty soon, just because he mm-hmm. has some he has some serious physical problems that are preventing him from doing what he needs to do. Um, but uh, and the Stones, of course, are robots, so that's that's okay. You know. <laughs> and for those that don't know, Paul Simon is 76 years old. 76. Okay. Yeah. So all of our favorite rock stars, they're, they're getting up there. They are indeed. Although Elton John, he says his tour is going to take three years. Right, well, he wants to spend more time with his kids, so he's going to take three years to tour. <laughs> Excuse me, sir, your kids will not be kids, and they will not know who you are. I think he's just trying to get out of the whole thing, man. It's like, dude, I'm, I'm going to go on tour for three years, and I'm going to come back. I'm com- Don't worry, I'm coming back. Yeah, his press conference was kind of odd because he said, my kids are five and seven now, and at the end of the tour, they'll be ten and eight, and that's an important age. I'm like, okay, well... <laughs> Five and yeah, seven but it, are important ages, too. I was going to say, there's no such thing as an unimportant... You know those years between nine and 13? Those don't matter, you know? Don't worry about... That's, you know, that time... Seriously, you can just hide in your room and it'll all be fine. So, speaking of the Me Too movement, oh the DJ found guilty of groping Taylor Swift last year has landed a morning show job at 92.7 KIX in Greenswood, Mississippi. Larry Fuss, the CEO of Delta Radio, said he sat down with Mueller and claims he's either the world's best liar or he's telling the truth. He also admitted that the publicity of hiring Mueller may have factored in a tiny bit. (laughs) So in the midst of the Me Too moment, is this a poor decision to hire Mueller, even though he seems to be in radio purgatory? By the way, isn't his handle going to be Stonewall Jackson? Yes. That's that's what I heard, is going to be Stonewall Jackson. Yeah, I guess his radio name is Jackson, and he's calling himself Stonewall Jackson Okay, all right. Well, I mean, yeah. 
I don't know. If you if you go on a press conference and say he may be the world's greatest liar, I think you've pretty <laughs> much established the framework of this. You know, it's like you're, and then you say, oh, ratings might have had something to do with. It. Yeah, okay, right. You know, I think we've got it. I think we've got it. But you know, obviously, where, where there's smoke, there's fire. This guy saw no smoke, <laughs> and he saw no fire either. I guess so. So yeah, does, does this give a, a glimmer of hope to people like Matt? Lauer, like, yeah, hey, I think I think so. Once I mean, the dust settles, I can get back in the game. Well, I mean, to some extent, yeah. I mean, the Tanya Harding thing was interesting; has been interesting. I, um, I, I don't know. I mean, but of course, the difference here really is that a federal court. <laughs> I mean, we're now living in an age, Jim, where if a federal court does something you don't like, you just ignore it. <laughs> I mean, that's a, so I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. But and it's I'll also, remind everyone that Taylor Swift countersued for $1. Right. She wasn't trying to ruin anything. She was just saying, listen, you touched my butt and you shouldn't have touched my butt. All right. So birthdays, Lyle. Well, it's a lot of birthdays today, surprisingly enough. And in no particular order, Justin Timberlake is 37 hey! years old. Yeah. All right. Fat Mike from NoFX is 51. John Lydon of the Sex Pistols is 62. Marcus wow. Mumford of Mumford & Sons is 31. Lloyd is Cole. A good, good day for birthdays. I know. I was so surprised. Lloyd Cole, who was, um, and the Commotions, which was a uh, sort of new wave act back in... The late 80s and early 90s is 57. Uh, Tyler Hubbard from Florida Georgia Line is 31. My and, favorite. And um, the oldie of the group is Phil Manzanera, who, was, of course, was the guitar player of Roxy Music, and he is 67. All right, there you go. The number one single on the Billboard Hot 100 this week, God's Plan from Drake, off of his EP, which features... Two songs? We have two song EPs now, Lyle. That's good. <laughs> Back in the day, we called that a single, an A-side and yep. a B-side. Uh, the number one album on the Billboard 200, Mania from Fall Out Boy. The number one song on iTunes, Say Something from Birthday Boy, Justin Timberlake featuring Chris Stapleton. The number one album on iTunes, The Greatest Showman Original Motion Picture Soundtrack. And the number one single on Spotify this week... God's Plan from Drake. We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, Lyle and I will have our music picks of the week. I am an anti-Christ. I am an anarchist. Don't know what I want, but I know how to get it. I want to destroy, possibly, because I want to be. We are back on the Week in Music, Jim Shear and Lyle Presler. Time now for our music picks of the week. Want me to go first? Sure. Because I don't, I don't know your pick of the week. Right, I didn't tell you. I'll, I'll find out in moments. So my music pick of the week is Love is Like a Rock from Donnie Iris, mm. Pittsburgh's rock and roll icon. Uh, for those that don't know, he used to sing in the Jaggers... And they had a, a top ten, might have been a number one hit in 1970 with the rapper. Rap, yep. rap, rap, they call him the rapper. Anyway, this weekend, Donnie Iris 
will be celebrating his 75th birthday, and he will be playing a sold-out 75th birthday concert. So uh, I'm sending this one out to Donny Iris, and I think um, at his birthday concert, he is playing his 19, it's either 1981 or 1980 album, King Cole, in its entirety. And from that album, here is Love Is Like A Rock, my music pick of the week from Donny Iris. There it is. Love yeah. is like a rock from Don Yeah, Harris. you know, I, Jim, I watched, uh, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm not sure exactly when it was from, given the fact that he's going to be 75. It was it, probably from the 80s, what had to be from the 80s, from the, from the way they were dressed. And it was a live version of that song. And I have to say, it was like watching the cast of Full House play rock music. <laughs> Style-wise? <laughs> but it's a cool song. It's a good song. <laughs> It was just sort of like, oh, wow, look, there's Danny. There's Danny Tanner. I didn't know he could play. I, actually, I knew he could play guitar. This is good. This well, is good. that's that's how people dressed in the 80s. I know. Believe me, I know. We watch a lot of full, we watch a lot of full house in this house, so we got it. And we <coughs> that's should remind cool, everyone that in the 1980s, Lyle Presler also had an earring. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. <laughs> That is correct. And we should also remind people that, you know, one of the things that gets lost about the whole minor threat thing is that our sort of group of folks were the first, really, to go on stage wearing the same clothes we were wearing normally. Wow. We didn't have, we didn't have stage clothes. That, that, that so was a big what thing. What you wore in the van, you wore yeah, on stage. Absolutely. I mean, and it smelled really bad. Um, but <laughs> it was T-shirts and jeans, right. So we were, we were like, you know, it was sort of like dress down Fridays, casual Friday, <laughs> all the time, all the time. So my, my, pick, my pick of the week, um, I figured we were kind of doing older music. By the way, for Donnie Iris to be playing at 75 is just magnificent. That's terrific. Yes. Uh, and I think, that, I think that's really, really cool. And I know that Pittsburgh just loves the dude. Uh, so that's just fantastic. Um, the, you know, I figured like we talked about rock and about no real riffs in rock anymore, no riff rock music. I also wanted to point out earlier about the Grammys that if you're going to get really upset about the Grammys and about your person not winning, go go just Google the people who've never won a Grammy. Um, and it's pretty incredible. And then also, if you, ha- if you have a little more time, look at who won record of the year over other people um mm-hmm. the beatles lost the beatles lost for yesterday hey jude i want to hold your hand okay so they lost those categories look at also the best new artist categories because you'll see interesting things actually the best new artist category which isn't that old has actually been fairly good and you don't see a lot of names that you don't know right you know so it's actually they've been pretty on that, but I was going to say there's a so we haven't we don't have a lot of riff rock anymore, and um, this band, despite its legendary status, never won a Grammy, um, and they also, uh, given all the conversation we've been having in this country about people from other countries, I say my pick of the week is the Immigrant Song by Led Zeppelin. Ah, nice.
The Immigrant Song from Led Zeppelin, Lyle's Music Pick of the Week. Well played. And I also think that it's probably Donald Trump's too, because didn't he say he wanted people from Norway? So he's like, I come from the land of the ice and snow. So there you go. <laughs> it Perfect. works for everybody. It works for everybody. It's a unifying it's music. All pick of inclusive. <laughs> all right, we are going to take one more break, and when we come back, we are going to play Ask Lyle. We are back, Jim Shear and Lyle Presler with The Week in Music. I almost forgot the name of the show there. <laughs> but it's not like we that, don't do this every week, right? The vacation, it's just dulled your brain. <laughs> <laughs> so it is now time to play one of our favorites. Ask Lyle. So Lyle, uh, from time to time on The Week in Music, it turns into sports talk radio. Mm-hmm. And I think if you wanted to, you, you could fake your way through a sports talk radio program. Mm. Maybe w- one shift a week. But my question for you this week, what are you expecting from Justin Timberlake at the Super Bowl? And does he need to bring out Janet Jackson to make things right? Well, I mean, in terms of what I'm expecting, I, I think he's going to give you Justin Timberlake. I mean, he's going to give you a fairly... Wholesome performance, going to be probably pretty heavy on... So no you know, dick in the box? No dick in the box, I don't think. You know, pretty <laughs> much a, pretty much a, a, you know, his version of funky dance music. Um, the Janet Jackson thing, it's interesting to me that, that there are so many people who firmly believe that her career was derailed mm-hmm. as a result of what happened in the Super Bowl. I... I don't know. I haven't done the research, but I think if you go back and look, you're going to see that her career was on the wane anyway. Um, whether or not this contributed to it, I probably did in some ways. I do think it massively unfair that he emerged unscathed and that she got all the the, the abuse for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, I think it would be absolutely amazing if he brought her out. I think that would be just fantastic. Because don't it's know. not it's not like she's out of the spotlight. She's been touring. She's been touring, and she does very, very well. She's been uh, uh, certainly talked about in terms of Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, I, I think, um, I think that would be great, and and I think it could be done properly. I don't know that the NFL will let that happen. Really? Um, they should. They should. They should just say, you know what? What happened in the past was a problem, but we're not gonna. We're not gonna be that way we're going to try to make them and that would be a moment you talk about moments that would be a moment that would be a big time moment so don't they they open up the can of worms by asking justin to perform because they can avoid everything yeah i think they do i think they do i think and i think maybe this is part of a master plan um it could very well be and i think if they did that they would put that whole thing to bed it would be over Mm mm-hmm and they would also acknowledge some. They would acknowledge a mistake that they had they made in saying mm-hmm. that she was sort of banned. They would also kind of just, and they would make a lot of people happy. And it doesn't have to take five minutes. No, it could take thirty seconds. Absolutely, it could take thirty just seconds. Bust into a quick version of whatever Janet Jackson song you want to hear. 
Absolutely. Whatever makes sense in the, the JT set. Now, do you think he does, because you only get 12 minutes when you perform the Super Bowl halftime. Right. Do you think he does three or four songs, or do you think he does a 10-song medley? That's a good question. I mean, I think he's mainly known for three or four songs, especially to, uh, well, I don't mean that pejoratively. I just mean, like, in terms of the younger people watching, I think they're going to be more, I mean, listen, let's put it this way. My, my daughter, who's 11, says that just that, that Justin Timberlake is old people music. And and I'm like, okay, <laughs> we have moved that that needle way forward um so you don't want to hear buddy holly i take it um but uh, who also who also by the way never won a grammy buddy holly um but uh yeah i mean i don't know it, it, i don't like it when they do too many songs because i think it's too jarring mm-hmm. um i like them to settle into a little bit of a groove in a song and then move on I think it'll depend entirely upon whether you know the, the whether or not the band leader can figure out the segues properly, mm-hmm. uh, because sometimes the segues can be really difficult to manage. Yes, because you're dealing with different keys and different tempos, and it, it can be it can be hard. So, but I personally prefer it to be maybe four songs, and you at least get into them for a little bit. All right. So before we go, because mm. we are running out of time on the week in music, uh, what are your thoughts on the Cleveland Indians? Retiring Chief Wahoo. Because for Ooh. those that don't know, you are a, a diehard Washington Redskins fan. Well, I don't know if I'm diehard anymore, but I was. <laughs> well, you used to be. You used to be. We got Alex Smith. We got rid of Kirk Cousins. Yay. <laughs> Yay. And you would think retiring the Redskins name is the next to go. Well, it should have been the first to go. Right. Um, it should have been the first to go before all the colleges changed. And now, and you're a diehard fan, and you'd be fine with them getting rid, rid of the, the Redskins name, right? Uh, yeah, and I, I would say that just very quickly, the first protest against that name started in 1968, okay? And every year when I was a kid and I'd pick up the paper at the beginning of the football season, there would be an editorial in the Washington Post about how the name needed to be changed. That's starting in 68, okay? So for those people who think this is a PC recent thing, it's not. It's been going on forever. Um I don't always agree with, with some people on sports radio, but Mike Francesa, I think, at one point said something that I totally agree with is, why would you want, regardless of whether you think the name is offensive, why would you want a name, a mascot name for your team that has the possibility of offending people? Why mm-hmm. would you want that? There's no reason for it whatsoever. And I think in the case of the Indians, now, I always looked at Chief Wahoo, and I, I never really thought of, I mean, it's a caricature, and Jim, you're a talented caricaturist. Um, <laughs> no, you are, and, and, and you know that caricatures are exactly what the name, I mean, the, the, that's the definition of them. They exaggerate certain things. It's supposed to just represent in a very uh, silly and, 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 uh, and exaggerated way the, the image. The problem, of course, is is that why are you know is it appropriate necessarily to make sort of a clown out of an Indian? Um, and I guess the answer is no, and it probably just needs to go, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't I don't think anybody's really gonna miss it. I mean, honestly, are we really? If you're that attached to your like team mascot caricature, you got a serious problem. Well, okay. also you need don't to talk to some of my family in Cleveland. <laughs> I'm sure. I know. I'm absolutely sure. I mean, I, I know how people get it, but I think if you really want to think about it, again, going back to the notion that if it offends someone, why do you want it? 
Like, why do you? Because it's sports, man. It's just sports. It's not. A, it's not a political opinion. It's not a cherished piece of pottery from your grandma. I mean, it's it's just a sports team. Okay, the the players change all the time. They have wacky uniforms half the time. I mean, it's just not worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, you can still keep your stuff. I mean, no one's going to come to your door and confiscate it. You know, you still have, I mean, the Indians have a long, the Indians have how many years of history with that logo? Well, they're, they're still going to sell it at stores. Oh, really? To maintain, to maintain the copyright, but the actual Indians team will just not wear it on the field. So what? Yeah. You know? So, I mean, the only team that really hasn't changed their, their uniforms ever really is the Yankees, right? So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's just sort of, I, I don't know. I just, I don't have a lot of patience for the, the violent arguments that come. I just think it's sort of like, why don't we just acknowledge that a name that offends anyone is a is a stupid name. Now, I guess you could stretch and say, "Well, I'm offended by Seahawks," but I don't think so. I don't I don't think that really works. Um, and as far as the Redskins go, I mean, it's ridiculous. They should just they should get rid of that name. It's just stupid, and it's been you, stupid forever. Yeah. What do, you, what do you think they should call them? The Liars was the best name I came up with. <laughs> no, I mean, I didn't come up with that. Actually, I read that someplace that they should call them the Washington Liars, which <laughs> was which. Really suits the mood. I don't know. Somebody suggested at one point the uh, the Warriors, which would be yeah. fine, right? The Washington yes. Warriors would be fine, and then you could you could probably even keep the the Indian because mm-hmm. it's the Indian. I mean, it's not a caricature; it's an actual, you know, it's not a piece a of art. And you could just keep that, and you so you could sustain that part of it, and you could just quietly let it go. I mean, the Maybe bullets make some change. donations to Native American causes. Absolutely. I mean, the bullets changed their name. Hmm. You know, but yes, people they still. Did. Yeah, there were the Baltimore Bullets and there were Washington Bullets, and now they're the Washington Wizards, and they they haven't been good forever. But that's you know, but that's okay. I don't think it has anything to do with the name. Oh, uh, before we go, what's your Super Bowl pick? Whoa, I think if it's a close game, I know I'm hedging. I think if it's a close game, I think the Patriots will win because they always yeah. seem to find a way to do that. But I do think, like last year ignoring what happened in the end. But I think like last year, there could be a surprise here. I hope so. Um, um, yeah, there could definitely be a surprise. You know, I kind of don't hope so because here's, here's I think I've said this before, but it keeps going. If they win again, then there's no more debating. It's like, okay, we're not going to argue about who the best coach was or who the best quarterback was or who the best tandem was. It's over. It's just there's no way to even come close to touching it, and so we can just stop. And then if people really want to argue about who's best, then they just can just... You know what you could do? You can ignore number one, and then you can just go to two, three, and four and figure it out. So in a sense, I kind of want to see that happen. Um, But on the other hand, I don't really care that much. But I do think... Are you you going to a Super Bowl party or anything like that? I don't think so. I think we're going to stay here. My daughter has a dance competition that day, earlier in the day. And I don't know why they would schedule that, but Spe- do you make a special dinner? Will you yeah, have well, well, you, we don't have a kitchen, so um, <laughs> so we'll figure out something that we can grill. I tried to okay. grill hot water. I tried to boil water on the grill, and that was not terribly successful. Okay. <laughs> well, because the, because it got so hot, you know. I mean, it was like it was like working in a restaurant. I, you know, as, as a chef, you know. <laughs> Well, Lyle, good to have you back. Good to have you back. For Lyle Presler, my name is Jim Shear, and we will see Yins later. So long, farewell, I'll be the same
ladies and gentlemen, Elvis has just left the building.